Welcome to our podcast. We are New Horizons Christian Fellowship from Starkville, Mississippi. We are about kingdom family, reaching up to the Father, reaching in to each other, and reaching out to the world. We hope you will be strengthened and encouraged by the message. comes at us when we are under duress. Now, as to whether or not he causes those moments of duress at any given time is irrelevant. Whether we've gotten ourselves into the fix, or the Lord has led us into a testing time, or whether the enemy is coming at us with some of his shock and awe tactics, to try to distract us from what is real. Nevertheless, he comes in after the shock and awe, when we're in a weakened state, when we're most vulnerable. That's what he does. Because understand, he has no power. That would be somewhere around zero Just to clarify, he has two tools, lies and fear. That's all he's got. That is all he's got. He has to ask permission for every little single thing that he would even wish upon us. I learned that in the book of Job. So Jesus spends 40 days fasting in the wilderness. 40 days. That would be nights too. Have you ever tried to fast that long? I remember I I do fast sometimes. We've talked about that before. But I remember when I was working at the radio station and I was commuting to work every day on my bike. And I went into a period of fasting. And it was like, it was less than three miles to work. And to work was mostly downhill, as a matter of fact, from where I live, which is nice because you want to go downhill to work, you know, and uphill to home when you have some motivation to get there. But I found after a commitment to fasting, after a few days, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Because I was, I was doing profound fast, nothing. Water and, and uh, actually the first few weeks, even just water. And I was like, whew, just a few days. And so I started doing a little protein shake just to, just to survive, to be able to get done the things that I'd committed to, so. I think God said that was all right. But the point being that I was in a weakened state. Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights, fasting, praying. He'd just been baptized. He had just witnessed the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And after 40 days, the enemy sidles up to him and said, "Hmm, 
Son of God, huh? <laughs> Son of God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about, here's some stones. You could turn them into bread and eat and be satisfied. Matthew told us he, he was hungry. Thank you, Matthew. I'm glad you told me that. It wasn't obvious. But that's not the one I want to focus on. I want to focus on what Matthew has as the second temptation and Luke has as the third when he tells the story. And whether literally or in the spirit, Satan took Jesus to the temple in the holy city. The temple, the magnificent centerpiece of architecture in all of Jerusalem. The temple that had been funded by Herod as a gesture to try to win some popularity among the people. A, a temple that was huge, much larger than the original or the rebuilt one. And he took him to the pinnacle, which I would assume is the highest point on that temple. Which chances are, it might be the edge of the roof overlooking the court of the Gentiles. A very, very public place. Everybody could see someone standing at the edge of the roof up there. And Satan says to him, Jesus, you're the son of God, right? If you're the son of God, jump! Because after all, David wrote, he will protect you. He will give his angels the authority to, with their very hands, keep you from as much as stubbing your toe. That's a rather loose translation. Basically, he says, you won't even, you won't even hurt your foot. Now, I don't jump off of things because it hurts my feet when I land. So, jumping from maybe 50, 60 feet in the air to the pavement is going to hurt. Jump! I don't remember another place in the Bible where Satan revealed that he likes to read the Bible. I don't remember another spot where he quoted the Old Testament, but he did that day. And Jesus said, no. Jesus went even further back to Deuteronomy 6 and says, you will not tempt the Lord your God. You will not put the Lord your God to a test. See, even Jesus understood the importance of context. You've heard me say that before. But the passage, you know where that passage comes from? Do you know what, what chapter of the Old Testament that promise about the angels having charge over you to keep you from striking your foot against a stone? Do you know where that is? It's in one of my favorite Psalms. It's in Psalm 91. We're going to read that. 
Psalm 91 says, I'm reading from the New American Standard. Um, pick your flavor and follow along. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. The faithfulness, his faithfulness, is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terrors by night nor of the arrow that flies by day, not of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you. Nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon a lion, a cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You'll trample them down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. There's quote marks in the NASV on that last little paragraph. Because that's God speaking. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call on me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. There is a position from which we can watch everything going on around us that brings security and safety and thereby peace that surpasses understanding. It's like going to the scary movie and watching terrible things happening on the screen and being able to step back and be objective and see all the scary, frightening stuff, but know that it's not really going to touch you. You will not be injured by the worst evil that you see portrayed on the movie screen. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to go pay money to have my socks scared off of me. But some people, they, I mean, I don't know if it's your caffeine, I, I don't know what it is that uh, charges you up. But it's, it's 
that virtual reality, and, and, and virtual reality predates computers, that virtual reality where you can imagine yourself in the situation will scare you. And that fear is real, even if the threat isn't. Fear is irrelevant to the reality of the threat. I happen to be skeptical enough that I'm pretty angry about how our current situation has been blown up and manipulated in the public media in order to control me. It will not control me. And, and I'm disappointed in the numbers of people who are so controlled by it. But I dare not insult their fear. Your fear is real. All of us were little kids at some point. Some of us still doing that. And when you wake up in the night afraid of something, and mom and dad say, it's not there, it's nothing, it's all in your head, you're just dreaming, there isn't really a monster under the bed. I'm still not going to put my feet on the floor if I'm a little kid. Because I'm scared. The threat may not be real, but the fear is. So whatever you believe about the current threat, the pandemic, the the whatever's coming next. Doesn't matter. And because you feel like, well, I've not drunk the Kool-Aid. Number one, an attitude that looks down your nose at those who are afraid is demeaning, dishonoring. It's, it's trivializing people, not just what they're feeling. So I'm calling us as a body to take seriously the fear of the people around us and to honor them and to legitimize them even as we might have an opportunity to speak the truth as we see it, but, but it's okay if they can't hear it because that's not up to you. You are never you are never responsible for a person's response to the truth. You need that whenever you bring your spiritual maturity to someone who's a weaker brother. You need to understand that whenever you're teaching some wonderful truth that you have run across that the other person can't quite grasp or refuses to grasp. And you need to keep that in mind when you are faced with the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with the lost. You are never responsible for their response. It will, it will break your heart. It will frustrate you. It could even anger you as you try to get a skeptic to see the truth. But if you let your emotions about that begin to manipulate you, you will make bad judgments. 
You will say things you shouldn't say. You will cop an attitude that should never be displayed. I cannot control how you respond to the truth. Truth has become such a fluid thing anyway today. We're talking about social media. I ran across this, this quote of Mark Zuckerberg talking about Facebook and how he felt that he had created the modern-day marketplace for an exchange of ideas and, and political debate and, and this and that. And, and Facebook is anything but that. It's, it's, become a, it's become a no man's land in which people dig their trenches to lob idea grenades at each other to agree only with those memes that say what they knew already and to scoff at everything else. It, is, it has distanced us. It hasn't brought us together. I think it's made us stupider, not smarter. And it is perfect breeding ground for fear, which is one of two weapons that the enemy has against us. I'm as close to fearless. I talked about this a few weeks ago. I thought it was ironic that, the, that not ironic, I thought it was interesting that, that I... I spoke on fear and being fearless just a few weeks ago right here, and as the calendar slowly turns, and it even made a, a, a weird shuffle beat that had me switching with someone else to be in front of you again, here I am in the midst of one of the biggest scares that this country can remember. So I'm thinking maybe, maybe we need a review. <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to stop and think a moment again about fear. Fear is the friend of the tyrants. Fear is the tool of the enemy. You can get more people to do what you want them to do if you can scare them than any other way that I know. I could get you all to leave the building, but if I yelled fire, you'd leave a lot faster. And it's, it's in, in all of history, the people trying to control people have used fear over and over and over again. It's not a godly thing, not that kind of fear. Yeah, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, yeah, but we're talking about something else there. Well, what's this thing? What, 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 what does that mean? Does that mean that I walk around foolishly? As someone said, I'll tell you how spiritual we are at elders' meeting. As someone said at elders' meeting the other night, oh, I'm not going to be licking doorknobs. <laughs> tell you, we're spiritual. <laughs> are, we, are, we going to, are, are we going to ignore the, the three-foot... Three Radius? Are we going to ignore hand washing and sanitizing surfaces? Are we going to uh, are, are we going to insist and in, uh, that people do not do the distancing, social distancing that that is being recommended to thwart the plague at hand? Am I going to jump off of the temple and see what happens? You see. 
we have one nice thing about Satan quoting the Old Testament is it gives us a really good example of how not to read Psalm 91. <laughs> okay, so this was a misapplication of the text. Not that we would ever have that happen in the modern day church, but I guess we also know where it comes from, don't we? The, the thing is that, 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 that Satan was, Satan had a different agenda. I believe that he was working on Jesus from the angle of his identity and his purpose and his mission. I believe that's the point of each of the three classic temptations in Matthew and Luke 4, where he tested Jesus about what kind of Messiah he was going to be. Because the word that says, if you are the Son of God, can also be translated, since you're the Son of God. It's, I mean, it's a flip of the coin as far as which way to translate that word. And it kind of makes some sense to me. <clears throat> Luke makes it clear. Luke puts the story of the temptation between, between the baptism and his, and his uh, horrible experience teaching in the synagogue in, Naz in Nazareth. He starts off, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And he's baptized. He's the dove and all of that for John to see. I think I'm, I'm of the opinion John's, John and Jesus saw the dove and that's all. And then Luke goes through the genealogy and tells Jesus' genealogy. Then we have the story of going into the wilderness to fast and pray and to be tempted, which says, if you're the son or since you're the son of God, since you're the son, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God. Then he goes to Nazareth and he teaches and they're like amazed because what do they say? Whoa, isn't this Joseph's son? And then when he makes it clear that Isaiah was talking about him and they got really mad and decided they ought to push him off a cliff, all they're thinking is, who does he think he is? This is Joseph's son. We, we saw him with a, with a snotty nose playing with the kids in the dirt. Who is he anyway? See, So Satan's going, well, if, 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 if you want people to understand you're the son of God, then do this, do this, do this. I had a professor who, who said that the subtle question underneath was, was, look, if you do it this way, you don't have to do it God's way. If you come as an economic provider, bring bread for everyone, there won't be any cross. If you come with this religious spectacle, because it's been understood for a long time that when Messiah appears, he's going to appear in the temple with some amazing thing, then there won't be any cross. And if you just, you know, bow down and worship me, and I'll just get out of the way, and you can have all the kingdoms of the world. You'll be king, you'll be Messiah, and there'll be no cross. You fulfill their expectations, there will be no cross. 
It's an interesting take on the, on the temptation of Christ. <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus could always see things from another angle because he was listening to the Spirit all the time. And John, he says, I, I, I don't do anything except the Father tells me. I don't say anything except the Spirit gives me the words. Think about that. That's profound. That's why I'm trying. I'm trying to hear what the Spirit is telling me. Because I want to be like that. I want to be the one that only says what He tells me to say. And only do what He tells me to do. Got a ways to go, by the way. <clears throat> so, what does he mean when he tells us this? I think it's important to understand when Jesus or when the when God's talking at the end of the psalm, he says, "I'll be with him in trouble." What is what what is the subtle meaning there that we might just right on by? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis to, the, to probably Revelation, I'm not, I'm not sure it's in Revelation. Do not be afraid is followed almost always by what phrase? I'm with you. You will not fear, for he will be with you. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Valley of shadow of death, I'm not afraid because you're with me. Emmanuel, God with us. Yahweh, I am. Emmanuel, with you. He didn't say there will be no trouble. He did not say that you would avoid the valley of the shadow of death. He did not say there would be no pain. He did not say there will be no death. He did not say there will be no suffering. He did not say there will be no persecution. He did not say that, follow me, you'll have everything you wish you ever had, health, wealth, and the good life promise ain't there. Even though there's some charlatans who are pressing it across the nation even today, that's not what he said. But then again, he did say, death will die, and I will wipe every tear from your eye, and there will be no more sorrow or crying, for the former things will have passed away. Because I am making everything new. Folks, we're still living in the old. We're living in a fallen universe. We're fallen people. We have bodies. We have the flesh that is infected with sin. And, what, and I don't care what your theo favorite theologian says. That's a fact. Were you born with it or did you acquire it? I don't care. It's there and it needs to be addressed. 
That's like the eternal security question. It dawned on me one day, we were, we were talking, Johnny and I were talking. We were talking on the lawn of the First Assembly of God over on Louisville when we were meeting over there, and it was after a men's lunch. We were chatting, and we were chatting about people arguing between free will and predestination. And, and eternal security, of course, is one of the five pillars of, of, of Calvinism. And, and we talk about we've all seen people who were doing great, and then they were doing horrible. And so we have to explain that. And, and people who, you know, people who just say, oh, they fell away. But then there's people who say, you can't fall away. So you didn't fall away. Well, how are you going to explain that? Well, then uh, he never was saved in the first place. You just couldn't tell. Okay, that's fine. But while we're arguing, they're marching to hell. I don't care how you got that way. i got to tell you the truth and hopefully keep you from destroying yourself eternally. It doesn't matter whether you were saved and lost or always lost. or If you're lost, you're lost. Huh. I'm sorry, that was a tangent. Got off on the sidetrack. <clears throat> Maybe somebody needed to hear that. I'm trying to say... Whatever God tells me to say. <laughs> Today's a national day of prayer. And I imagine, you know, churches across the nation are reading, the ones that we're meeting are reading Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. And, and we like to quote that verse without looking at the first 13 verses of Second Chronicles 7. Because right before that, he says, you know, when locusts and pestilence come upon your land or when the enemy is bearing in on you, when, it's, when everything looks really horrible and it's terrible and awful, if you will humble yourselves and pray, I will hear from heaven. That is not a, a, a preventive medicine in that passage of Scripture. It's not talking about, we might be able to infer that, fine, but that's not what it's talking about. I, I pointed out, I didn't get a whole bunch of interest. I, didn't, I, like, to, I like to try to provoke interest uh, when I do post on Facebook, but I was thinking about that, and it, and it, it struck me how many people I know who are crying out to God to move, to bring revival in the land. You pray for that? I know there's people right here, right now, who pray that God would, would make a great move of revival in our city, in our state, in our nation, in the world. And then I go to the Old Testament and I read about every single revival in the Old Testament, and guess what precedes every single revival in the Old Testament? Destruction, pestilence, plagues, enemies to people who need a good kick in the kick place. <laughs> My people. Anybody here who's in that category? That's you. 
<laughs> I know, you're like, are we, are we supposed to raise our hand? Is he just making an illustration? My people, you pray, he hears. He didn't say that about people that aren't his people. He didn't promise that. That doesn't give us, a, that doesn't give us the, the, the right to sit under a, a gourd vine and wait for the fire to fall from heaven. That's an oblique reference to Jonah. Look it up. But here's the thing. He'll hear your prayer. Now, how are you going to pray? How will you pray? I think the best response that we can bring to God's word this morning is to pray. To pray. What will you pray? Will you pray that, Lord, make this plague go away? Will you pray? Lord, protect me and my household, please. Will you pray, keep the schools open, Lord, these kids are driving me crazy. Will you pray for wisdom for our leaders? Will you pray for the truth to shine through in the midst of all the half-truths? Will you pray, what will you pray? If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. I think there's a hint in there. We don't come to God. Yes, we come to God as privileged because we're children joint heirs, no longer slaves. And yet, we come to him as children that we know full well where we come from. We come from the same place as those who refuse to listen. We come from, some, from flesh and selfishness, self-centeredness, laziness, from fear. And we have residuals of that that plague us all the time. And I don't think we're going to be completely free from them until we step beyond this space-time continuum. But we pray. Admitting our sinfulness. Confessing our weaknesses. And saying clearly to God, I am utterly, utterly dependent upon you. I have no righteousness of my own. I have nothing to earn your favor. I have nothing on which to base my request except your 
is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to look beyond our sinfulness, to shower us with his unconditional, lavish love, the perfect love that casts out fear. Though a thousand may fall, 10,000 at my right, though I contract a horrible disease, I'm talking about a really horrible one, not the one they're talking about. Though I die, <laughs> yet shall I live. Satan, you can't touch this. Glad somebody didn't break into song there. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> he can't. He's working on. He's working on us this morning. We sensed a. We we sensed a a, a, a spirit of conflict and non-communication right here today. It's gone. <laughs> Do you know why? We told him to go away in Jesus' name. It's gone. Johnny, would you come and lead us in a time of prayer? I, I know I didn't give you a warning, but I know you are a man ready to pray at any time. Father, thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for opening up heaven to us this morning, even as we worship. That we can see that your throne is unshakable. That your kingdom is unshakable. Thank you for opening up that eternal realm to us. So, Lord, right now we come not just representing ourselves, but yes, representing ourselves individually and cor corporately, representing this region, our country, and the world. And we come in repentance, saying, Lord, please forgive us for not turning our eyes upon Jesus and fixing our eyes on Jesus, as Hebrews 12 says. Lord, we repent from looking down at the waves that slap us on the legs as you call us to move out in power and love and sound judgment. We repent of looking at each other 
and I'm speaking this for, for each one of us right now, individually, for us corporately, and throughout the body of Christ around the world. We repent of attacking one another. And we say, Jesus, be lifted up. We simply and purely want to be devoted to you. Now, I'm just going to ask you, if that's in your heart, what I just prayed out, I'm going to ask you, in your mind, and maybe even physically, make some kind of display of this. Just, just turn to the Lord. In your, in your mind, you may physically want to get up and shift. Uh, maybe some, somebody may need to come to the front and just kneel. You may need to kneel where you are. But may make some kind of shift in your posture that would agree with the heart of that prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Can we agree that this word is for us across the body of Christ today? So, Lord, as we turn our eyes to you, we thank you for your blood that washes us and cleanses us. Thank you for salvation that you've given us. Thank you for calling us your sons and daughters. And I speak the peace of God over us all right now in Jesus' name. So now I speak over each one of us forgiveness of sins. Would you say I received that? I speak over every one of us healing in the name of Jesus. And I speak over every one of us a new commissioning to not be seeing the things in the temporal realm as challenges that can't be faced or walked through, but as opportunities for us to bring the good news of Jesus and to serve one another. Amen? Wow. Debbie, do you have... You know, I've been going through this little mini revival of my own before all this started. And one of the things that I've been doing is just being convicted. Like, I'll spend a lot of time just weeping. And it's not huge things, it's little things. And I just feel, but I feel myself more and more getting free and getting whole and more and more being able to just tune my ear to the Lord just because my spirit and my soul is getting set free from so much junk. And it's so easy for us to be so busy that we don't take that time out to do that. And so I just, I just want to pray that we would use this time, those of you that can't go to work, those of you that can't go to school, you would use this time to ask Jesus, like Tim said, 
bad things are going to happen, and God has to get our hearts aligned with his heart. He has to get us clean and right. And so I want to encourage us to do that in this season, to take time out to just get to know Jesus all over again, to fall in love with him all over again, to hear his voice all over again for you personally and, and for us corporately. And, and so that actually means don't just sit in front of the television and watch the news that says the same thing over and over again, right? Okay, I repent. Okay. <laughs> And, and <laughs> everybody in my family is fired up about that for, for some reason, all right? And, and, and what you're saying is not start, start with the Lord and that intimacy with Him, right? So there's that, that song we sing about being lost um, from the head to the shoulder. To, head to the heart, Hannah Lessing, me. I keep saying, head to the heart, I'm going on a journey. And it says, I'm getting lost in you. And that, for me, is just, I've had a revelation. It's not just lost in his glory. It's not just lost in his majesty. It's not just lost in who he is as the Lord God, the king, the creator of this universe. It's me getting lost. It's getting lost to me. It's getting lost to my selfishness and my greed and my thinking that I'm owed something. I'm not owed, I'm not owed a thing. And, and so I encourage you to sing that song. Just sing it right from the head to the heart, not the head to the shoulders. And, and as you're telling the Lord that you want to get lost in him, get lost in him, but also get lost in you. Like get, get rid of the you. It's never been about us, ever. And, it, I, and it, I'm so guilty of thinking that perhaps some of this was about me and that God needed me. He doesn't need me. But he needs me to worship him and he needs me to glorify him and he needs me to sit at his feet. And, and let him work in my life so that I look more like him today than I did yesterday. And what's so exciting is I'll look even more like him tomorrow. So I just want to encourage you. Let him take you on a journey. Okay. Every time Debbie says something, I think we should just say, I repent. <laughs> Thank you, babe. That's right on target. And I would add, after you've done that, don't just... Do nothing. Spend time with each other. Let this, I mean, you've got some people, not, maybe not everybody, but some people have an extra spring break. So spend that with your family. Maybe the Lord pushed the pause button in there for us for a little bit just so that we can grow, grow close, right? And check on each other. We have told some of those that are, that are elderly or, or vulnerable, we've said, hey, you might want to consider staying home right now for just a little while, but we are going to be stepping out with folks that are trained and formed. We are not moving in fear, but those that are trained and formed will be going to folks' uh, homes to check on them. We need that contact, even if it's elbow bump or a foot kick. That's foot to foot. Right? All right. I think that's the word of the Lord for us today. Amen. Thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify or iTunes. If you would like to learn more about New Horizons Christian Fellowship, then please visit the links in the description to learn more. Thank you for listening, and remember, the service begins now.